0: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm Aisha Mills, sitting in for Jason Johnson. It's LGBTQ Pride Month, and while there's been a recent surge in anti-trans laws across the country, transgender artists like actress Angelica Ross are thriving on stage and on screen, and giving the community new reasons to celebrate.
1: So what gives me hope is understanding that someone like me has been able to gain access to... A power that, in my eyes, cannot be taken away.
0: Actress and activist Angelica Ross coming up on A Word. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's Shopify.com slash system. Welcome
0: to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm Aisha Mills, sitting in for host Jason Johnson. There's long been a debate about whether the LGBTQ community should focus on celebration or activism during Pride Month. Today, we're happy to speak with someone who embodies both. Actress Angelica Ross has broken barriers in Hollywood and on Broadway, where she recently starred as Roxy Hart, the lead in the long-running musical, Chicago. That performance made history, with Ross becoming the first openly transgender actress to headline a Broadway show. But perhaps Ross is best known for her groundbreaking role as Candy in the television series Pose, a drama about queer people of color in 1980s and 90s New York City.
1: You have no idea what it's like, how different it is to live this life when you look like you, have your money. I hate what I see when I look in the mirror. so lonely.
0: her performance highlighted the joys and struggles of black trans women from family and faith to class and color and earned angelica ross millions of fans ross is a star off stage as well as an activist and entrepreneur working for civil rights and employment opportunities for transgender americans and we're pleased to have her with us now angelica ross welcome to a word
1: Aisha, thank you for having me.
0: There is so much to talk about in your career, but I would like to start with Candy Ferocity, your breakout role in Pose. So how much of your personal story did you actually bring to that role?
1: Well, I wouldn't say as much as my own personal story that I brought to the role, as much as like the shared experience that I share with so many trans women especially black dark skinned trans women there just was this experience that i've known so many loud and also loyal trans women who you know you can count on to tell the truth you need to know i was a forgiven woman how the fuck else you think i dealt with all the backstabbers in this world a woman's got to forgive otherwise her complexion gets all hazy Lisa I die beautiful. Not that you ever noticed. I really counted on a lot of people that I grew up with that I was in community with that helped me inform how I play Candy.
0: So for the most part in the show, The light-skinned characters were very uh, sympathetic characters, and then the dark-skinned characters were the, let's call them the antagonist, essentially, of the show. And as a result, I I was on Twitter and social with everybody else watching uh, the show, and there was a lot of feedback from the audience about it, and there was a lot of critique of the program. And I'm curious, what are your reactions to uh, some of the critique?
1: If I can be... Just really clear and transparent and honest. My experience, you know, playing Candy on on the show and bringing sort of the essence of Candy did come a little bit from my own experience of being looked over, of being um, underestimated. So when I first started on Pose, none of us knew... What direction the show was going until we got the scripts and we really got the scripts as we were shooting it so we really weren't too far ahead of everyone else and kind of really understanding what the show was going to be about but as the pages turned and i didn't really see candy in the pages in the first couple episodes it started to be clear to me and it was also pointed out to me that i was not the main storyline you know that um that we were to sort of serve as side characters to the main characters. And, you know, when I first started on the show, I thought, you know, and a lot of people thought when they saw my name along with four other trans women's names, that we were going to get this like kind of sex in the city. All of each person has their like, you know, dive into what their lives and their lived experiences were. But as we realized that that wasn't happening, I had two choices. I could... Let that affect me and affect my performance and have an attitude about the way that I showed up. Or I could just show up and do what it is that I do. And that's like, I really wish that I could really explain to folks what was really happening for me on set. The words weren't written for me. Ryan Murphy created the space for me to improv. He realized I wasn't written on the page and said, hey, uh, Candy, I need you to say something. I know it's not written. Just, you know, work your way into this, you know, the scene. And that's what I did, you know, sort of episode after episode. You saw me contributing from a place of improvisation and not necessarily what was written on the page. So I consider this one of the greatest spiritual tests I've been through. That is all about like how you show up and how you respond. When I talk about responsibility, I talk about it as the ability to respond. So the way I responded in that situation was just making the most out of my camera time, making the most out of my moments. And I think that's how people learn to love Candy because she could not be denied. I don't care what the category was.
0: I'm curious, having had this phenomenal breakout role, we're going to get to the other roles that you played as well. It's, it's easy sometimes for the writer's room for Hollywood to typecast someone who has a breakout role, who's known for a particular type of character. And I'm curious uh, to what extent this may or may not have happened to you. I have
1: been fortunate to be able to experience a little bit of everything from my first role that was Emmy nominated on Her Story that was a web series to Candy, to my time on American Horror Story, playing a camp counselor and realizing that was actually a psychologist that was running this insane asylum. You know, I played an alien, you know, I played a chemist. So I think that, sure, some of the typecasting that I think that I might experience is those who know me for my drama, know those who know uh, me for my strength. But as we got to see in Candy's final moment, when I'm able to act out vulnerability, I believe that's a space that I have yet to be really given even more leeway to, to really show vulnerability. You know, And a lot of times, even in Hollywood, the, the most of the characters are the white characters that we get to see as vulnerable. You know what I mean? And a lot of times with Black characters, especially Black women, we see them as these strong characters. But we, there's these beautiful moments when we've seen Carrie Washington or Viola Davis or Taraji P. Henson you know play Vulnerable and I want to be able to do that as well.
0: Well you just made history playing Roxy Hart in the Broadway musical Chicago. Ooh
1: I'm a star. And the audience loves her. And I love the audience. And the audience loves me for loving them, And I love the audience for loving me. And we just love
0: each other. And that's because none of Got enough love
2: in our that childhood.
0: That's right. And that show beats, kid. Oh yeah. I have friends who saw you in Chicago, and they were just sending texts and so excited uh, to see you in that role. So talk to me about playing Roxy. A very big deal for you uh, and for all of us to be able to see the diversity of that character there. Speaking
1: of vulnerability, being able to stand on a stage and you don't get a do-over. You know, once the show starts. The show must go on. That kind of live action is just, for me, it's where I feel like I just just come alive. And there was these moments, especially towards the end when Roxy lost it all, where I just gave my all and became the most vulnerable and let go. And every night there were real tears. Like I was coming from a place every single night and it was so amazing to feel that now i know that i can do anything as soon as i stepped off the broadway stage a couple days later i went straight into the studio and i wrote my single that i just released per. that showed me that i had the vocal range and the ability to take it to the next level
0: as the first transgender woman to star in a broadway production huge how did you find yourself in that role? And is this something that you could have ever imagined as a young person growing up? Listen, I
1: definitely saw this coming. I grew up in community theater, did 11 plus years of community theater before I even graduated high school. Usually had the lead role. What was so funny was during that time, I was in an acting troupe and they thought to do blind casting because they saw a black person who was cast as Teen Angel in Greece. That black person happened to be Billy Porter. So it was like this really odd, you know, 360 connection. I always thought I would get there, but transitioning, being a trans person in America and being able to hold on to a dream throughout that transition is really difficult. And so I am really grateful and I feel very honored to be in the position that I'm in to be able to do what I do.
0: We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, more with actress and activist Angelica Ross. This is A Word. I'm Aisha Mills. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at slate.com. Thank you.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
0: You're listening to a word. I'm Aisha Mill, sitting in for Jason Johnson. Today we're talking with actress and transgender activist Angelica Ross. Now I want to take a step back and talk about your path before you became an actress. I understand that you came out to your family as a teenager and that it didn't actually go so well. Can you describe that moment for us? Like
1: many queer and trans folks that come out to their families, um, I was not sort of unique in my experience of experiencing rejection coming from my family. You know, there's a saying, when you know better, you do better. And that's why it's so painful to watch folks now who by now, you know better, you do, and you need to do better. I'm so grateful that my mother has had the opportunity to experience a restoration in our relationship and really for her to truly see me, regardless of how I identify, she sees me, her child, and she supports and loves me. Whereas, you know, in the, in the beginning, she was willing to let me go. Not only by pushing me out of her house, but really asking me to take my own life or she would take her own, you know, and sort of giving me that ultimatum. That's how messed up our society has things right now. And we really do. I'm going to be really, really invested in helping us heal and move forward because this is, it's past time. This is, this is silly. This is silly.
0: You clearly have had so much, um, pain and struggle, and then, you know, coming to the other side of a relationship with your mother, with your family, and you talk a lot about the healing. And it's so prevalent, I think, for the Black community today to really be um, experiencing so many harms, micro and macro. And I wonder if there are any words of wisdom that you can share about your process of just healing in partnership with your mother through this journey.
1: What I think has been the biggest disservice to all of us is there is a whole industry dedicated to helping us get out of our discomfort to soothe sometimes pain that is happening for a reason. Um, I'm telling you from experience and firsthand that challenge is the way that changes us all for the for good. We have to challenge ourselves and challenge each other. If you're not challenging yourself, if you don't feel challenged at where you are right now, you're not doing it right. And so what I say is that none of us gets to escape the challenge of life. I can't do the work for you and you can't do the work for me. But what I can tell you is on the other side of challenge is victory, is wisdom, is healing. Like it was not easy to go through the process of healing with my mom. There was lots of hard conversations. Let me tell you something. What I'm living in right now, I am experiencing a certain type of freedom that does not come with comfort. When you understand Discomfort when you've gone without, when you've done all these things, like on the other side of these challenges, is recognizing that you can do anything. And that is my message to everyone out there. Stop focusing on everybody else. Start to focus on how you are responding to the challenges in your life right now, both individually and the bigger challenges, because you're going to have to respond too. You don't get to just duck your head in the sand and think that this is all going to pass like some news cycle. We all going to have to get activated and just understand that challenge is a part of the process.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. And you have seen your fair share. A lot of people may not know this about you, but you were in the military early on uh, in your life. And came out with with some experiences that surely colored uh, the work that you then went on to build for trans folks in the in the tech community so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your early days and and how you came to build trans tech social enterprises um, and why you
1: know the thing about trans kids kids who you know have experienced other different challenges like there's this time for some of us where, Our rose-colored glasses are sort of ripped off of our faces and we see things for what they are. I have been fortunate to have an experience, a journey, that has given me sort of a tour behind the curtain of America. I am by no means disillusioned by any of this and by what any of this is. When I was in the military and going through boot camp and showing that I was Willing and able to to fight for my country to defend our rights and realizing that I was fighting to defend a country that would not defend me as a black woman, as a black trans woman. And so my experience going through the military was one where I realized the system was not only violating me, but was going to be willing to protect itself rather than to protect me. So when I was hung out of a third-story window, instead of my truth being able to see justice, I experienced a
0: systemic cover-up
1: from inside. Like, I mean, it sounds like a movie, you know what I'm saying? Like, just something that I'm making up. But, like, it is what it is.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about what happened?
1: You know, it was a thing where I thought I had a moment to sort of kick back with my shipmates and Enjoy the weekend and went to like a party on the barracks. And, you know, we were on the third story. There was a, a guy there who was apparently a little drunk and he kept asking me if I thought he was gay and also asked me to, well, before he got there, he actually asked me to admit that I was gay. And this was during the time of don't ask, don't tell. So they were definitely in the wrong for asking me in the first place, but I was really trying to dodge the question and not answer. But when they kind of physically threatened me, grabbed me by my collar and was like, admit it or I'm going to punch you, you know. And so I admitted it. And once I admitted it, then they were trying to interrogate me and ask me like, questions about gay people and gayness and why do people hit on him if he's not gay you know and I'm like I don't know he's like well I'm not gay I was like okay and he's like well say I'm not gay he just kept repeating over and over again say I'm not gay say I'm not gay like as if he just went into some sort of zone and grabbed me up and hung me out of this third story window by my ankles I could see the trees I could see the street lights below me and I could see my life Flashing before my eyes. You know, I was just so young. I had just turned 18. I just remember when they pulled me in and someone just said, let let him go, let him go, and they unlocked the door. I just knew that by any means necessary, I needed to get out of that space. But when I went to the chief's office to tell him that I just wanted to get out, I heard there was this like kind of rule that if you don't adjust the military life within six months, then you could just get out. So I talked to an attorney and they were like, yeah, that's kind of true, but you're also going to have to admit that you're gay. And so as I was going through that process, the people uh, on my ship thought that I was actually telling. They basically were going to say that they tried to hang me out the window because I offered to perform sexual acts on them. In front of everybody or something like, you know, and it was just like, I don't know how to frame it. But I'll say that to have something go down and to not be believed and to told that you are lying is quite an experience. That's why I've always been one to stand on the side of folks who have experienced some sort of abuse because it takes a lot of courage to actually speak up.
0: Just the devaluing and the disrespect and deprivation that so many trans people experience at work is something that we don't talk about enough. And you, after this experience, went on to become an entrepreneur and to start an organization uh, to do work to get more trans people into the tech sectors. Tell us about that and, and why you saw an opportunity there for employment in tech for trans people.
1: Well, if it were a slogan, it would be figure it, T.F. out. And the thing is, it's all about figuring it out. We are in a time right now where technology can be a catalyst to move you into the direction, whatever that direction is. But you have to figure it out. This landscape is racist, misogynist, patriarchal. It's dangerous. Safety is not guaranteed to any of us. When I started trans tech, the reality behind that was my vision was all about harnessing technology at the intersections of difficult transitions life transitions, whether that is people who are coming out of incarceration their whole life and now stepping into an entirely technological world that they're not used to, whether that is a woman who has bought into the patriarchy and been duped and made a home for some people all her life and now wants to make a business from all the skills that she's built over all those years. Technology can be that catalyst. That if you're willing to understand, this is where a lot of our culture gets messed up, is that folks want to be in denial that trans people exist. They want to be in denial about racism. They want to be in denial about the experience that women experience. But what I teach trans people and non-trans people alike is the first thing you're going to have to do is open up your eyes and see things for what they are. Secondly, you're gonna to need to know how to navigate this environment. It is what it is, sweetie. So if your job ain't doing this, if the environment ain't doing that, do you wanna be successful? Do you wanna have a different experience? Sometimes you gotta pick up and move to the next spot. Sometimes when love's not being served at the table, you gotta get up and go to a different table. So that what I would I teach folks is to be aware of their surroundings, but also to constantly be aware of both their own capacity, do you have it today? Your own capacity, mental and physical and skills, your own ability and capacity, as well as the capacity of the place you are in. Like when you understand the relationship between those two,
0: you can move differently. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, more with award winning actress and activist Angelica Ross. This is a word. I'm Aisha Mills. Stay tuned.
2: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
2: Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Jum. That's right, chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law 18 plus Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: You're listening to a word. I'm Aisha Mill, sitting in for Jason Johnson. Our guest is actress, activist, and tech entrepreneur Angelica Ross. Angelica, you were recognized by the Human Rights Coalition with the Visibility Award back in 2016, literally days after Donald Trump was elected president. Now, years after his presidency has ended, we're dealing with a rash of laws explicitly targeting transgender people. Has the strength of this backlash surprised you any at all? And how are you holding on to hope in this moment where you have others that are literally coming for and attacking the transgender community?
1: Listen, the gag is me and almost pretty much every trans leader that was around in 2016 and before, let's just even say the time when we were passing marriage equality. The big conversation was, hold up. Y'all trying to move forward with marriage equality and trans people can't even rub two nickels together. Can we understand that there are systemic issues that we need to be fighting for that are more important right now than marriage? Because the situation is, is that trans folks and whatever understood that marriage is also a tangent of capitalism. So we understood so many folks were ready to celebrate. And do so many things. The war is over. We won marriage equality, and trans people are saying y'all don't even get it. Folks looking at us like we just like we just doing too much and disruptive. And then we did have to disrupt every party we went to. Whether that was uh, conferences thrown by the National LGBTQ Task Force, whether that was events thrown by HRC or anybody, CNN town halls, we just had to storm the building to get people to listen. And we've been doing this for years. That's why you can't, you can't mess with our messaging because the girls, we've been doing this for so long. So, no, am I, are we surprised that Ian, this is happening? No.
0: I really appreciate the way that you remind us that. So much of your activism over the last decade, two decades for that matter, has really been about getting um, your folks, folks who are supposed to be on your side, whether it be politically Democrats or the LG and the B community writ large, or other progressives to actually show up and stand up and act up and act out for trans women. And that that has been an ongoing part of the work What are some of the the waves that you've made, some of the progress you've made and the hope that you have for broadening the coalition of people who are out there supporting and fighting for Black trans women? I I really appreciate the relationships
1: um, and the work that I've been able to be involved with over the years. Uh, That has created some real change. And what I know is that my time is better served with those who are willing, those who are able, those who are listening. And there are just a lot of people who are not listening. So for those politicians that always brag about being able to reach across the aisle and talk across the aisle, to what? Are we not looking at the same energy that's coming? Is that your flex? That you are able to drink a beer with them and reach across the aisle? Is that your flex? So where my hope comes from is knowing that I have been in the same places, you know, we, you and I both. We've been in the same halls with all of these changemakers. And we understand everybody ain't there for the same reasons. Everybody ain't there for the same reasons. And that's fine. So what gives me hope is understanding that someone like me has been able to gain access to a power that in my eyes in my experience, cannot be taken away. When I realize that, I'm a black trans woman. The audacity of me to think that I have a power that can't be taken away. And imagine if we, the people, started to recognize the power that we hold. Things would really change. So that's what gives me hope, and that's what I'm invested in, is making sure and activating that hope into people and understanding, actually, we can do this. We have the power.
0: You lead with your full self and your whole heart and have put so much of your personal story out there for the public, for the community to be inspired by, motivated through, and really just the way that you show up so authentically every day has to to take a lot out of you. I wonder, um, do you ever just think to yourself, wow, this is all just a bit too much and wish that you had more privacy uh, in your life?
1: I will tell you that I have reached a breaking point and I had to cry it all out, realize that I have been holding in so much because I'm strong and should be able to handle it all. But what was so amazing is that this is why I really do want to encourage people to look at their lives closely. I was working so hard for so many people who were not willing to do any of the work themselves. Like some of the most simplest things that maybe I could, the things that they need, whatever their work is. So my body went through this lesson. It went through this lesson of how I laid myself down on the tracks for folks to walk and run over me, you know, and me putting that work, and it, it really allowed me to let go at a certain point and realize it's not my responsibility to do everybody's work. And what I realized that there are so many people, whether it is in this sort of work and success or whatever, or whether it is the work towards freedom. There are so many people who are relying on other people to do that work for them. I'm no longer letting the world, the industry, Hollywood, politics push me around. No, no one. And I'm moving at my own pace. And I encourage other folks to find that space for yourself. That's where it's at. is finding the freedom to move at your own pace. And what that looks like sometimes is being willing to accept when that pace is not as fast as you'd like it to be.
0: We do so much emotional labor as Black people, as Black women, and certainly you, as you're describing as a Black trans woman, it's Pride Month, and there has to be room for some celebration and something to just be you know, in the streets with our rainbow flags. Tell me, how are you celebrating Pride this season, and how should we celebrate with you?
1: Let me tell you, I am going to be purr, purring all through Pride, and I am encouraging everybody to get your purr on, because listen, I just released this new song. No, no, no. That's how I'm celebrating. When I wrote this song specifically, it was about celebrating Femme Queen energy. When we're in a world that always likes to oppress or control um, how Femmes show up, this is all about us owning our own purr, feeling it and celebrating that regardless of how this country is trying to politicize our bodies.
0: All right, we're going to purr with you, actress Angelica Ross. Thank you so much for joining me on A Word. Thank you for having me. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo McIntyula. Ben Richmond is Slate's senior director of podcast operations. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.
2: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?